Welcome back, everyone, to R2Cast number 46. Today we have, well, if you're on Instagram, you'll, I'm quite certain you'll have uh, seen Gemma's post. We have the agri social scientist. Gemma, if you'd like to say hello. Hi. <laughs> Before we get on in to another excellent episode of the R2Cast, I would just like to thank the sponsor for the show today, The Scottish Farmer. A weekly magazine highlighting everything you need to know regarding the Scottish agricultural industry, whether it's breaking news, events happening in the sector, market reports, classified ads, or just wholesome stories happening in the industry. The Scottish farmers got it for you. So looking forward to a good chat today when, when we were arranging the podcast. Um, well, actually, one of the main reasons that I originally got in touch was in the bio on your Instagram, it says food security, which is really exciting because, as some of you know, my master's in food security. But when you mention food security to people, they're like, what's that? Putting a padlock on the fridge? No. And I was just quite excited that someone else has actually heard of this uh, term before, heard of this idea, and uh, we can probably get into that at some point. But before we do, um, could you give us a bit of background about yourself, Gemma? What's the story of you? <coughs> How much time you got? Uh, <laughs> Probably an hour and a bit, actually. <laughs> well, we'll just finish. We'll fill half of that with this then. So, um, yeah, I don't, it probably surprises most people. I don't have an agricultural background at all. My family couldn't be further from farming. <laughs> they hate it. Um, they think it's dusty <laughs> and they like towns. They like to have access to things like gyms. <laughs> yeah. Which out here we don't have. So I... Was, it just sort of fell into agriculture. I studied consumer behavior and marketing at the University of Reading, who has a great agricultural school. And I, for some random reason, was put in the agricultural school. <laughs> uh, I was around farmers all the time. And I remember going to this talk about, it's before the Brexit vote, and these two farmers came in, like going head to head on whether or not it was a good or bad idea for farmers. And I was sitting there like, this is really bad. Like, <laughs> This is a really serious issue and no one else had any idea this was going on. It wasn't in the media or anything. I was, I was just gobsmacked. And so I went on to do a master's after that in environmental social science. So still down the social sort of route. And I focused on sustainable diets, uh, motivations behind taking up certain things. Uh, same with farmers and agri-environmental schemes. And then I went through the campaign route with Save British Farming and now I've quit my London job, I moved up to the Lake District and I bought some pigs and that's what brings me here. <laughs> See, I love this. Like, I mean, <clears throat> I've said a few times when I started this that the reason this whole thing started was someone asked me back in July 2020, like, what jobs is there that we can get into? I'm not from farming, what can I do? And I just started getting in touch with folk that were either not from farming and in farming or just in farming and showing what was out there. And uh, yeah, and a lot of these people are working on farms a lot of these people are promoting agriculture so it's, it's quite cool um to get different sort of what would you say sort of avenues into farming it's good to hear those stories so looking forward to it um you said access to things like gyms you work on a farm with pigs and sheep i'm sure uh, you get the exercise you require <laughs> yeah sometimes you just want to be clean when you're working out <laughs> you want to be with people and have a discussion and a drink. True. <laughs> True. As, as someone like myself, um, working out is maybe not the thing I think of very often when I maybe should. Uh, <laughs> when I was thinking of the things near me, I was sort of thinking like, you know, takeaways and that. 
yeah, there's none of that. <laughs> they don't read this. <laughs> um, could you tell us a bit about your undergraduate degree? What was involved in that? Uh, the consumer behaviour and marketing one. Yeah. It's psychology behind why people buy things and how you manipulate it. The basis was I wanted to go on to work for a big supermarket like M&S and persuade people to buy more food. Yeah, It's yeah. not a stance I now agree with, but that was uh, where I started. <laughs> was, was, there, was there any talking about agricultural produce in that or not? No, not really. Any not when I was done. I've done various work experiences with supermarkets or food chains and it's not, there's no link to pharma. It's all about how can we increase sales? What has a bigger margin? What do consumers want? What, yeah, you, you're not even in relation to supply chain. You're just marketing really. I think right. that might be changing now and depending on the supermarket, of course, but that was my experience anyway. I, th I think that supply chain itself now is a marketable entity, folk want to hear about it. Um, so I think it probably is more related now. And I've, you know, this is this is drawn figures from, from my undergrad, however many years ago. Uh, from what I remember, pork retails at 425% of what it wholesales and beef and lamb is just under 400%, about 390. Um, now, maybe you know figures on that or maybe you don't, but um, I seem to remember something like that. And that that's sort of like, that's going to create a detachment anyway. Um, but the, the market inside of it is quite, it's a confusing one. I, I never know, how, how do we market? It'd be quite interesting to hear if you've got opinions on this. How, how would we look at marketing our product at the minute in supermarkets? Or would do you think how it's happening at the minute is, is sitting in a good place as it is? Um, it definitely needs to change. <clears throat> it sort of, well, it depends how extreme you want to go. You know, governments can get involved with subsidies and taxing on the correct food groups. You know, what's healthy for you, what's not, what's been imported, yeah. what's not higher standards, what's affordable. Um, you know, we're trying to get out of this sort of food hierarchy system we're going into where only the rich could afford good produce, which is firstly good for you and secondly good for the environment. So that's a dangerous precedent that we're now yeah. setting. And the supermarkets have way too much power. They don't care at all about the farmer some might now like I say things are slowly changing but I like for example Tesco's I think one of their biggest biggest clients is JBS which is the world's biggest pro, like produce people in beef and pork and um, chickens I think they sort of, I think it was I don't have the statistic written down yeah. so someone else can correct me on this but I think I saw it's about 77,000 cattle are slaughtered every single day just under the GBS um, sort of figures because they're that big. They're the world's biggest food producers and it's just driving the wrong change, really. It's not the customers you want. You want British farmers first and then imports to fill in the holes, not the other way around. Yeah, definitely. And I think the likes of Aldi, well, I don't think Aldi are very good at supporting British. Well, supporting where they are. They're good at supporting Britain and Britain. They're good at supporting Germany and Germany, whatever. Um <clears throat> Or Tesco, is it not something like 22? Well, I'm pretty sure it's 20 something percent uh, of the, the meat in Tesco is British, um, which is low. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. I yeah. think I think it was MS and Waitrose I've been moving towards the path of like 100% British in lamb. I think I read somewhere. So that sort yes. of step could be because we can be 100% self sufficient in lamb. Mm -hmm. 
no question of doubt, there's no need to import it. Um, so that's something that supermarkets can do. But the buying behavior is <coughs> different for supermarkets. So like what has been influencing consumer decisions for so long, you've got fast food outlets, uh, cartoons on kids' foods, convenience foods, people that are just working far too much, convenience foods came in and they're used to it. We've lost skills in a society on how to cook, what to cook, cooking from fresh. There are, there's so many different issues that play into a consumer's decision on food. And we're just so disconnected from it because we don't see farming, we don't talk about it, we don't cook properly. And what's local to you as well? Like if you can just walk down the road and you've got a fast food outlet, you're gonna do that. Or if you can walk down the road, you've only got a Tesco's, that's all you're going to do we're just very disconnected from any options really we're forced into a certain choice a lot of the time yeah you're completely disconnected and the the, the cooking thing's a good point so many people can't cook now i'm not saying they can't make some fancy whatever they just can't cook <laughs> um no. if it's any more than heating up you know ready meal for example then then that's too advanced which is quite worrying um it's very worrying <laughs> There's a massive, as a, from people I've been speaking to, like chefs or around where I've been building up the whole of it, which is encouraging people to eat all different parts of the animals. I've had to learn how to cook lamb's heart and liver. And I think mincing is a great tool that you can do to disguise everything for kids. But it's like equipment as well. Like we're expecting different people to have different equipment to cook things, which we just don't have anymore. We're not used to having it in our kitchen. Um, or be available to people because we don't want to give consumers, well, supermarkets and things I imagine don't want to give consumers those tools so they can just, so they don't buy the ready mail products or convenience food like pizzas all the time or fast food. It's probably true, yeah, probably true. And <clears throat> like you're saying, mincing is, is excellent. <laughs> I like the way you can hide all the, hide everything. Um, so true though, I mean, mincing's, a, 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 well, what mince is is the cheap parts. Um, as I'm sure we're going to get into with yourself uh, later on. Uh, your your master's was environmental social science. Was Did that involve a project or was that how? Yeah. Um, so my dissertation was on farmer motivation on adopting certain land practices and then an analysis on agri-environmental schemes just before the good old elms came in. So <laughs> it was really interesting to see what actually happened. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what do you, what do you think you found from that? The well, the clearest thing that which which we already knew, you know, motivations are influenced by financial aid is primarily the biggest reason. Uh, the agri environmental schemes needed to provide on that, and they're not. Is is the end result of what's happening? It's not clear. It needs to be group projects as well, not just based on one specific farm, let's do areas because they all impact each other. You could have someone spraying fertilizer or pesticide usage, insecticide, whatever it is, right on a neighboring farm and it's impacting what they're trying to do. And so you need more link ups. You need it to link into like communities like with local waterways and schools and because that all makes an impact on, if you've got a community supporting you and councils, that's gonna boost funding you've got, support you've got, people that are gonna buy your produce if you're supporting. Uh, local food chains it, it all links in and it all stems back to what sort of agri-environmental scheme you're yeah. on yeah and <clears throat> i think i've talked a few times lately about 
what you mentioned Brexit earlier, and and that was sort of what you what originally saw you sort of looked looked down the agricultural path and and what it means for farming. Now I'm I'm going to probably get some enemies and what I'm about to say here. I had I remembered to vote, which I didn't, so it didn't actually count. Was going to vote for Brexit. Um, now I I looked at the sort of model of what happened in New Zealand, looked down the the. Um, what happened when subsidies were taken away route, which was, it was horrible for a few months. There was a lot of um, major farming mental health issues. There was was suicides as well and stuff. It was dreadful. Um, But when you look at the efficiency that created in in New Zealand, it's insane. Very high efficiencies in the country from from a financial perspective, not maybe as high welfare and environmental standards as we have here. And I thought, you know, is that the way forward? Looking back now, I don't know what happens if we don't have subsidy. I don't know where we where we go if you know these schemes start to disappear. I don't know what the sort of the future is for farming, if that makes sense. What what do you think? It's a tricky uh, one. There's no answer really, yeah, is there? I think we're already seeing a lot of it. a lot of the concerns that people had around so many different aspects, uh, the lower standards coming in, the disadvantages to farmers, um, the impact of health on consumers, uh, impact on our food security. There are so many issues, like we export 45% of what we make, which is ridiculous. We should be keeping that and then just just doing a smaller exchange because all we're doing is weakening our food security and health. I think there was one study that suggested that this these trade deals was going to cost our economy 1.17 billion in six days off and cost to the NHS more, which is much more than what these low standard trade deals are even going to bring in, because that is the main risk to public health, which is why the Safe British Farming Campaign worked so closely with dietitians and doctors, because they were so concerned about it. And then you look at the farming impact and you've got the ex um, NFU chief economist, like literally desperately trying to get across that he's predicted a third of farms to go bust just in the transition period because they cannot they just cannot compete with the lower standards coming in and then you've also got the consumer side of it you know you've got 94 percent of people didn't want imports of lower standards and who's listening to that it's sort of like a missed opportunity to really back british agriculture and then with the subsidies anyway I think maybe if we'd done the same thing as New Zealand back in the day when New Zealand did it, when we were intensifying anyway, and we didn't know the damage it was doing to our soil or to our health or anything, then that would be fine. But because we do, and we are having a shift over to nature-friendly farming, farmers need help with that. Like yeah. they're really, you know, you're, you're having to stock certain numbers, so that has to be made up with a price. You know, you have to buy new technologies, you have to put up tons of electric fencing and <laughs> things like that it all comes at a cost so i don't know how anyone could do that without subsidies yeah and at the end of the day and sometimes i'm not going to tar the consumer with one brush here but some and probably quite a large chunk of the consumer forgets that it's a business you know farmers aren't just producing food well it's what they're doing but they do that for it's a business you know it's just like going to work nine to five it's the same thing um, and just for, for, for those listening, when we were talking about sort of intensifying a while ago, it was, oh God, 1992, I think, um, the agricultural 
Minister Person Ray McSharry uh, brought in what was the first major reform to the Common Agricultural Policy that basically just incentivised the amount of product you got off a hectare. So what that led to was people just putting thousands and thousands of, of livestock on, you know, areas that couldn't hold it. Um, the, the same with uh, the amount of fertilisers and such like that were chucked on chucked on crop grounds. And what that led to was, you know, lots of compaction and lots of runoff and, and lots of eutrophication and water courses and uh, welfare woes and stuff like that. Um, so that's just to give you a bit of background if we're not sure what we're talking about when we say that. Um, <clears throat> you are... Time that made sense, can I point out? Like, yeah, no one's getting angry at people for the past, but we know what happens now. We know the damage, yeah. and that's why there's a new system that needs to be supported. Yeah, and that's, that's a really good point to mention. I probably should, I should have said that, and, and glad you did, that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't done out of malice. Uh, you know, we were trying to feed... A country and we're, we're trying to feed you, you, you. yeah exactly like it's, it's it was it was it was made for for good intentions um but now we're sort of working with that as you said farming with nature and and, and trying to increase biodiversity and, and, and environmental sustainability or regeneration uh, depending on what side you're looking at while also feeding that even higher amount of people um which is a, <laughs> a thankless task in some ways um there's a lot to it uh you are not just a scholar, however, Gemma. You're also um, farming these days. Could you tell us about that? Oh, it's been fun. It's been a learning curve. <laughs> <laughs> I think I chose the worst time to start. It was just going into winter in the Lake District. And I was, oh, it was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Trees were down. There's no electricity or heating for weeks. It was just snowy. It was just, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> You're selling it very well. Eh? <laughs> Yeah. anyone wants to do it don't <laughs> unless you have a really good backup generator so you can have a hot shower or something <laughs> yeah. it's it's been fun I've, I've changed my viewpoint on a few things um just you just learn as you go you're like oh you know i'd love to have pigs outdoors all year round but actually maybe if they could finish inside if you've got enough local produce um, like veg, veg farms that are just going to throw away stock or bury it you can use that as your feed so you're reducing your feed costs and then you're you're creating a really valuable muck on the bedding even if they're only being finished for a month and you've got that value that you can add to your fields because pig poop has like a really high ph so if you've got a really acidic field it's really handy for tackling that so it's the other these other things that you don't really think about it's sort of like a, a way up of mm, they come in for a month despite having their entire life to roam about the farm breaking all of my fences and <laughs> plowing up <laughs> all of our <laughs> lambing fields <It's> excellent <laughs> but it's, it's these sort of things i start to consider i'm like oh you know you get so much more benefit for doing this you know reducing waste on farms and fixing your soil or lambing for example we've lambed most of our breeding stock outside and I thought oh this is going to be amazing you know they're herdrick super hardy they basically lamb themselves that's all great but because we work incredibly hard to work in line with nature we're surrounded by natural sites we make sure we've got hedges in we leave rushes up for birds to lay all these things it means that we've got incredibly high numbers of crows, badgers and foxes and that I hate it when I see a lamb gone, another lamb to a crow or, or 
three in a row to a badger. And I think this is a financial cost, like loss as well, because you already have a smaller stock so that you're not damaging the soil or anything. So it just impacts you so much more. And I think, man, why don't I just lamb inside for a month? <laughs> I know that goes against the whole ethos of being fully outside, but it's, it's changed my viewpoint slightly. <laughs> It's, I think that outside versus inside lambing is, is a big one. Now, we back home, you mentioned started in winter time. Uh, in 2013, basically the southwest coast of Scotland and a bit of whale, well, a big bit of whales got hit with a, an intense snow. You know, you're talking metres high in places. Um, and we had bought a shed in the January prior to that March. And like, had we not, I think we had losses of, and I'm talking about unaccounted for scanned numbers as well here of nearly 300 or nearly 400. I can't remember which one. I think it was nearly 300. And we don't have a massive flock. You're talking like 630 breeding yows. Um, and had that, and that was with that shed. Had that shed not been there, we could have seen everything. Um, <clears throat> it was, so yeah, it's, it's more than just um, oh, outside. It's more natural, which it is. But there, there is there is other things to that. And have you looked at at lambing inside, or is is that a potential? Yeah. The other half of our stock did lamb inside. They were brought in lamb um, in lamb use, so they were yeah. they already came from somewhere that had them inside. So we kept them inside, so they weren't messed about with temperature and things. And they, yeah, that was really easy. As soon as they lamb, go into the playpen, mother up, and then they're outside anyway. It's just that build up to birth. But yeah, I I'm not against it anymore. <laughs> That, that's that's interesting to see it, it's great <clears throat> sorry i've got something in my throat it's really annoyed me um it's sort of seeing why oh but outside sounds great and then you're like well there's a reason inside happens um no i'm not saying it suits every system because it doesn't there's a lot of outdoor outdoor lambing systems that that's just what works um but but you know it's horses for courses um what sort of numbers of pigs and sheep have you got Pigs, well, I only had six because I wasn't really sure what I was doing with them. I sort of, I quit my job and I needed something straight away. And I was like, pigs! <laughs> <laughs> I'll have pigs, it'll be great. Uh, yeah, so I only had six pigs and then we've got a few hundred sheep. We destocked the Swaledale flock, which was quite substantial to do this new changeover to try and create a more sustainable system of just more bang for your buck with these sheep was the, is the hope. <laughs> yeah and and for those of you listening if you haven't seen um Herdwicks before hands down the cutest lambs there is i mean we don't have any but there's there's a farm next to work where i work in oh my god just little fluff balls <laughs> but um from from a non-cute perspective um how, how do you find them great i they're my favorite breed so far um <clears throat> super hardy no issues look great they're native to the lake district so it just ticks all the boxes it, it's really important that they're hardy because then they can be on the rough terrain that we have in some instances and they can eat a very diet sort of thing so that they're, they're just great for our system and do you do you finish them or do you still sell them store we're still debating i think breeding stock wise we will keep everything and we'll be selling our like tops and things that we're producing. And then we do have Herdrick Texel lamb crosses. Good. They can be fat lambs. And then there's some random Lesters that we have. <laughs> Just in the mix. Um, 
the the pig perspective you said you mentioned you uh, fed sort of veg from nearby that was just just getting thrown out is that a large majority of their ration or is it just a small part well i was my goal was to not use any feed at all and this is one of the reasons i haven't kept the pigs long term i just don't know enough being new to cumbria i don't know enough veg producers it, it got really difficult to find spare food waste going yeah. around i did work with the local bakeries and the shops down the road um, to get their bread waste, their veg waste. So that sort of kept it all going. Apple orchards, uh, getting all that waste. Um, supermarkets, getting a few bit boxes that here and there. But I did have to use a bit of feed and that was just something I really didn't want to do because of the environmental impact of that. So we've subsidised, <coughs> not subsidised, we've counteracted the use of it as much as possibly I could that year but I would definitely if I was going to keep them I would want to keep reducing how much we're using you know I, I wouldn't see it as, as a as a, a failing having to get feed in your first few times like you've you know you've just said that you're new to it, um having a bash trial and error at this stage I wouldn't see that as yeah I think well yeah you can't pick yourself too far down but it was one of the main things I wanted to tackle so I'm yeah. like, oh, I wish I'd use less <laughs> Yeah, but it's, it sounds pretty good. I mean, the amount that you are using from elsewhere. And like you're saying, you're new to here. And um, I say here as if I'm there. I'm not um, new to where you are. <laughs> uh, and, and, and getting that sort of network takes time, yeah? And uh, I'm sure uh, over time that'll be there. C can you finish pigs on that? Or is it hard to get them to that final, final level on just veg? I finished my pigs on it. Uh, it was fine. They didn't, I think a commercial pig probably finishes about seven to eight months, I think. Ours was more eight to nine months when the first lot went and the butcher said they were a dream to have. They were 52 kilograms. The fat ratio was perfect. So no complaints, considering they were outdoor mm -hmm. like, the majority of their life and they're just fed on random bits and bobs. So they, were, they did great. I mean, the ones we've just recently sent to Abattoir they're even bigger so I'm pretty keen to go and see them at the butchers and see the fat ratio see if it's changed slightly because they had a little bit more feed than the others yeah. to see if that's made a difference but otherwise the pork that's come out has been excellent wouldn't, oh, wouldn't. very good um was it Tamworth yeah, yeah. Tamworth. <laughs> yeah well, do you know my my knowledge of of pigs i've had what's this number 46 i've had 46 people in this and anyone that talks about pigs i'm like I don't, know, I don't know what i'm talking about um what what's their kill out percentage is it is it low 70 percent are they i don't know not sure. no i just i'm just wondering because um you know lambs will be killing out about 45 percent but i think pigs because they're monogastric instead of in ruminants are about 72 um i think it's fine it's fine um no it's it's I, i'm really interested on the whole completely weird on on what's around idea i like that a lot um I'm, well I've, I've followed you for a while but i'm pretty bad at being on instagram i sort of use instagram to put my stuff out and look at nothing uh, which <laughs> i should maybe start doing because <laughs> there's a lot of cool stories out there um, a lot of mine was just pigs are out again <laughs> People love that. People love that. People did mm. love it. People would get really sort of into it. If I managed to keep them in, even for just like a week solid, they were like, yeah, <laughs> you did it. 
proper cheering you on your 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 pig fencing skills. <laughs> I just didn't have the money to board the entire parameter. That these pigs had six acres to just roam about in. Like they were tiny when we got them as well. So it's just a huge amount of land for them to just tear up and do what they wanted. They didn't even need to break out. They were purely doing it just to just to annoy me. <laughs> if they could. <laughs> relationship with yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean they are really clever animals, aren't they? They say they're they're the smartest livestock by far. Um, they're really personable, uh, Tamworths. Yeah. They're quite cheeky and adventurous. They're not just going to lie there and let you pet your belly. They're going to run away, but they'll come back to you as soon as you call them. <laughs> <laughs> but why did you leave? Um, well, why did you leave? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, why did you do this? Um, well, they had an acre each. I mean, that's that's pretty spoiled. <laughs> well it was um, an experiment we were that field was just box and weed so it, we couldn't put sheep in it nothing could go on it was just unproductive so it's costing us money not being productive um and it had a really low ph so we put no high ph what's acidic it's the other way around hey low low i peg stuff is high all right i think i got it right the first time then yeah yeah well yeah you got it right the first time yeah i'm yeah. myself <laughs> Always happens. I do it too. <clears throat> okay, well, they can plow it up. Uh, so this is a natural way to plow it up, and we'll get some income in the meantime. And you know, we'll see if there are people we help at all. Soil results came back, and because the land was left alone for a year, and then we put pigs in it, that combination has just boosted the soil nutrition and everything in it. So it's good enough to plant now. We can even going to try and put turnips in, which is interesting we never would have been able to even do that a few years ago so we've got to plow it up again because i left it too long before i plowed right in the middle of lambing it was really bad timing we've learned our lesson. <laughs> <laughs> plow it up again but plant in a more permanent pasture which is just gonna benefit the water retention and different species in it so i'm hoping it's going to be a nice. um result carbon sequestration as well all, all plays into it good stuff Oh, I actually forgot to ask. You started in winter. What year was that? Last year. Oh, it was just last year? Yeah, I only fully quit my job um, in, I think it was August. Right. Okay. Oh, wow. Right. It's very new. <laughs> I don't know why we thumbs ups just came up on my screen. Um, <laughs> I saw that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I did that. I thought... it's, yeah, it was quite. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> People listening on Spotify will be thinking, what is happening? Oh, <laughs> just playing with the screen. Um, I, I think a good one for you uh, would be, I've, I've got a podcast, when we're filming this, it's coming out on Friday, with uh, Joel Salatin, um, who you may or may not have heard of. If you Google him, you'll be down a rabbit hole. <laughs> uh, he's quite often referred to as the world's fam most famous farmer. Um, but his his big thing was his family were like sort of like the parents of, of regenerative farming. And some of the, the the uses they have for pigs is very interesting and sounding what you're doing. I think it might be quite quite up your street. Um yeah. just a, really just a little plug. It's really great <laughs> what people are doing. I would like to bring pigs back and have them in the hedgerows so expand our hedgerows and then have them going in between there at some point but that's quite far in the future <laughs> yeah yeah well that's and it's, it's this sort of like 
uh, integration of different livestock. Like what he does is he does feed them grain. So that, that's slightly different to what you're doing. You'll feed them grain. Um, and then the grain that passes through that hasn't been digested, he'll also put chickens in with them. So they'll ruffle up all the, the, the muck, as, as you say, and, and that adds the chance of fertilisation while the chickens are being fed. It's, it's genius. Like, I mean, it's just, um, I like seeing the ones that basically where everything has a job. Like a fun fact, and this is really getting off topic, and I think I've said it on the podcast before, but people have liked it before. <clears throat> if you get, see like, the pole, like 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 a whirly gig. That's a Scottish thing. You won't know what that is. Um, like the the, <laughs> the spinning um, clotheslines. You know the spinning ones. Am I not explaining myself here? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like clothesline for drying your clothes outside. It looks yeah. like a, a spider web. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah them, oh, yes, right? So we call them whirly gigs. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, whirly gig. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I didn't know no, I'd say it out loud, I don't really know. But anyway, um the the little sort of like pole that they go into that's in the ground, yeah. So it's like an empty pole. If you sit one of them next to little hazelnut bushes, I think they are, trees, bushes, mm-hmm. uh the squirrel will pick the hazelnuts and pop them in there for later. So you basically could take some of the hazelnuts, leave the squirrel some, and he's like a paid worker in hazelnuts. <laughs> <laughs> I just always wonder, like, how did someone discover that? It's just, it's just genius. Yeah, I'll, I'll, it's one of my favourite things. And shout out to Carl at Sales Sufficient Hub for, for that little bit of information. But uh, yeah, there's there's some pretty cool things out there. I hope you've kicked your feet up and got comfy and enjoying another fantastic episode of the R2 Cast with another really interesting guest. I would just like to quickly take another second to plug the sponsors of the show today, the Scottish Farmer. And I would strongly advise you to go out and pick one up this week and see even more of the fantastic people that are in our industry. Um, going away from employing squirrels, uh, <laughs> this is what Brexit has done. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I told you this wasn't a, a, a formal podcast. <laughs> I did warn you. <laughs> um, yeah, here we are. Uh, I see you're a public speaker. Could you tell us a bit about that? That's fun. Uh, yeah, I used to do it a lot more. That was for Greenpeace uh, back during, when did I start doing it? Oh, I think it was back when I was classed as a young speaker. So I was like 24, because I think they're young speakers are only 25 and under. <laughs> right, okay. Oh, I could still be a young speaker, that's fun. Um, there you go. Um, <laughs> I, still do, I still do do the odd bits and bobs, but I generally only talk about the food topic now. But you, you just go to schools and present or during the pandemic you're doing it online to any group that basically signs up and you've got various different topics that they can choose but I only choose the food ones because that's what I know <laughs> so so would when it so you would be going into schools and just talking about well it was it was before you were into farming when you started so what were you talking about at first I think the first one, most of mine have always been online because of the pandemic and everything that was going on. Um, But most of the time it's about the the certain campaign that was going on. So one is to do with Amazon deforestation and linking back to JBS that we touched on earlier on today. Um, They are basically one of the key drivers in deforestation because they need it for grain, they need it for just to house what I would call a very intensive factory farm or cattle. Are we, are we talking feedlots here? Sorry, is it like, yeah. yeah. 
feedback systems. And so it was all about trying to get people to stop eating that specific meat, the meat that's being imported, and instead either choose a fresh produce, or for me, I would say choose a British alternative because there's higher standards. It's not using this particular company. Mm -hmm. Things like uh, Greenpeace have actually really targeted that campaign at Tesco's, you know, please start stocking more British, start stocking more vegetarian options, whatever it is, just stop using JPS. <laughs> They're like goal. So that's what they've been doing for a fair few years now, like just really tackling Tesco's as the biggest sort of issue. It's, do you know, when, when you actually think about it, when I, I sometimes when I go through Tesco and stuff like that, because I normally shop at Aldi, but they don't have like, you know, the correct conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought to go to Tesco to get that stuff and I quite often that's see you like <laughs> what was that? That's how they reel you in. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's it. Yeah, they've got the right conditioner, yeah. <laughs> I I feel like I don't give off the right impression of who I actually am sometimes. <laughs> but here we are. Um and I sort of go and see like sort of what the meat situation is. Sometimes it's quite good to get a photo of a bunch of New Zealand lamb and have a chat about it on 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 Rural's Kitchen. Um but you don't see Argentinian Brazilian often now. Very rarely do I see it. Um, now, how honest that is, I don't know. I assume very, but it's often New Zealand and Australia, not often Brazilian and Argentinian. Um, yeah. I think we will see a shift with the trade deals coming in, but also people clock on to the fact that they don't want imported products. So they stop looking at the labels. Our labeling standards are ridiculous. They're not anything can slip through there there's so many loopholes like things can be claimed to be british and they're not you know you've yeah. got supermarkets that have got fake family farms like logos and adverts and brands it's just it's awful there's no focus on it at all or even just improving red red tractor and making sure the right stickers have that on it british flag it's there's no it, you could be eating anything but a lot of the cheap produce or processed produce anything that you wouldn't really no, it's, you're not looking at the meat like a burger all of that stuff comes from a cheap source so it's going to come from those farms it's just not written on it because you're not looking for it really with that's those sort of food groups i wonder how they can get away with that sort of fake idea the fake farm like you say we let them. but i mean <laughs> well, i'll be honest i mean i'm someone that i would say is quite clued up on this stuff and i didn't know much about that so like the the, the thing is there and is um, how many people know that? I had heard of it. I didn't know it. And you, you've just said that there, and that's like a, you know, I would class myself as someone that's quite up on food in the UK. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really difficult to know in store what is what. Like, yeah. I know by looking at a certain brand, being like, yeah, that's true. Oh, that's not. Like, I think if I did my research and I can grab it, like some of them say manufactured in the uk that's not where it's sourced that that trips a lot of people up or all the fake environmental logos like so many different versions of soil association or organic and a lot mm -hmm. of them are certified they're just fake or this this is sustainable this this is it's got a picture of wwf on it or something oh that must be really good it's just, it's just not it's it's our lab we don't have strict enough labeling standards for it and i think there are the global farm metric is suggesting that we can have a new you know, label, which takes into all sorts of considerations like the societal impact, the animal welfare, the environment, uh, the farm business, you know, all of this. 
and it should create a new label. It's still in the works, I think. There's loads of other things like carbon labels. I mean, really, we could just throw all of our money into, and time, you know, DEFRA. That's mm-hmm. not, they're not paid loads. Uh, they don't have much time. Why don't we just fix what we've currently got? So let's make it really strict on, you can't have, you can't say it's a family farm if it's not. You cannot say anything to do with British <coughs> if it's not. <laughs> this is getting really strict on that. And, but I think it was at the Oxford Farming Conference and someone came on to do a talk for that. And I asked them, I was like, why aren't you focusing on this? And they just point blank ignored it. They were like, oh, it's just not enough time. And I was like, why create all these new labels? Why just focus on improving the current ones, which consumers already understand and systems already in place to do. Yeah. I wonder if a traffic light system would work, you know, because when we look at food labeling, if you asked the general consumer about food labeling, I would assume the majority, the one thing they would know is the traffic light idea from a calorie sugar fat content perspective so if there was like a not like a sustainability traffic light or a welfare traffic light but like a i can't even think it wouldn't be a pgi thing it would be but something that's a bit easier to understand that's not you have to sort of decipher it yourself at the end of the day you're a consumer you're there to buy something you're not there to research what you're buying and yeah i don't know what the answer it's interesting that they said we don't have time um, yeah, it's just so much <coughs> for them, really. I, I don't know what's going on behind the doors, but I just imagine it would be a lot of chaos. Like, for example, the new public health standards coming in on food labelling, uh, Kellogg's has just given the UK government the biggest lawsuit ever because they're like, oh, but if you add milk to our products and our cereals, it brings the sugar content down it's like yeah but this is your actual product so there's just companies left right and center battling them for any piece of legislation so how do you think a little label is going to no it's not people like they're just the backlash they would get is probably i imagine extremely strong (laughs) just for the simplest of changes because consumers aren't savvy to it they will look for a british flag they will look at the traffic light system as you say so even then those are they're not accurate really that much there's all sorts i mean public health professionals know and dietitians know far more about this than i do but from what i can gather from the different campaigns that are going on it's just not very accurate and then where do you stop do you put a pesticide label on animal welfare sustainability how do you measure sustainability do you put a carbon how many labels do we need (laughs) just be like wait a minute what am i actually buying is it a steak That's a good point. Yeah, there's only so far. And and that's where we sort of find ourselves as a consumer, putting the trust in those selling it to us. And that's where that can be not manipulated, but exploited. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it is a worry, I guess. Um, and, and something that I've considered quite a fair chunk and still not touched on all the things you've said. So it's that, that in itself shows that as the general consumer, you know, that the 99 percent it's not a thing you consider pesticides one's an interesting one Mm. you know i guess if it's not if it's not organic which obviously does say then you don't know the pesticide amounts they might have been at the absolute legal limit they might have been over the legal limit and the assurance hasn't checked you know um assurance is a big thing a lot of people have problems with red tractor uh I don't know if, if, if you agree with that or if you want to say anything about that, but um, I, I would quite like to get someone from Red Tractor on. I've had 
Kate Rowell, uh, Arthurcast number 39 on. She is involved in QMS, which looks at the Scotch sort of uh, assurance, but that won't be something that you guys will have. Um, mm, I think <coughs> there's so many different opinions on RedTract. I think it could be a really powerful tool. Do I think Red Tractor put enough time into educating the public on what it is? No. Do I think they regulate it enough and have standards high enough to actually gain something in the price difference? Like if you've got a non-Red Tractor produce and then a Red Tractor produce, the price difference is quite a jump for not much difference. It's just that one's been ticked, one isn't. There's not a big enough jump for consumers to actually appreciate the Red Tractor. Um, that is just from talking to people and doing various surveys and things. That's what I found. People just don't think it doesn't does enough as organic. Yeah, it's a big price jump, but they know it does something substantial. I just think nowadays Red Tractor is a way for supermarkets to control the price for farmers. I think they've got so much more paperwork to do. They don't get any money for that. It's, it's sort of like, I think it's sugar or is it wheat? I'm not as clued up on that, but you can't sell it to a supermarket unless it's Red Tractor. I think there's a few instances where it's that. All right. So even though that farm could be <coughs> so much more than what those standards are, it just gets a Red Tractor label. The, the wheat one, if it is the wheat and not the sugar, I think it's just England because in Scotland, we have SQC, which is um, Scottish Quality Cereals. Uh, and that's the assurance scheme, and I know it is not a uh, sort mandatory. Um, so I think it might be sugar, but I didn't know that. So that that that, Maybe that then. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not actually sure because I mean, the, the, let, let's say that is a thing, and whatever, if it's sugar, wheat, whatever, that doesn't that completely negate the point of the assurance? If it's a complete, it has to happen. That's then just a standard. It seems to be that supermarkets, especially as we know that consumers are wanting to buy British now, knowing that <coughs> coming in, there will be a push from supermarkets that everything is Red Track certified because consumers already know what that is, that or yeah. the flag. Um, so that would be even more pressure on farmers to make sure they're signing up to be Red Tractor, doing all this extra work for not any price difference. It's just going to become sort of mandatory or maybe that buyer is not going to buy your meat. So right. Um, I can see that happening and I've heard cases where there's already fears of it. I just can't remember the specific examples. Yeah. I, th I think I'm pretty sure sugar is one of them. No, no it, it makes they sense. Words. <laughs> <laughs> do, you know, do you know sugar is the only food stuff without a sale by date on it? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, that was the case in 2018. Maybe it does now, uh, but it, it didn't. Um, yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> and I think it's it's just granulated sugar. If it's a processed sugar like castor, mm -hmm. so like demerara, granulated sugar will be, doesn't have a date. I think castor might. Um, which makes no sense because I thought then honey wouldn't. But it's just, just sugar. Honey does have. <laughs> More random facts in this episode. Um, I think it was Morrison's that stopped. Was it Morrison's? That have suggested um, to not have used by dates on milk or best before dates so that you can just do a sniff test instead to reduce like lots and lots of waste of milk it's it's a tricky one that now personally yeah i mean i'll drink milk even if it's bad because well i was reared on eating not bad bad but you know reared on eating insects off the ground and you know like <laughs> <laughs> bought up the farm yeah like it doesn't a bit of milk's not going to do any damage but 
um, that's someone who's who's been who's been reared on used to that drinking milk straight from the cow that sort of thing. Yeah, the the worry there is the people who don't know exactly what they're looking for. It could lead to a problem. I mean, I'm I'm against sell by dates and you know used bys and best befores and stuff. They were created by MS as a way to sell more stuff. <laughs> that's that's why they were created. Um, I like that Morrison's are looking at that. I feel like milk's not the place to start. <clears throat> I think it's, I don't know, I think, I don't know why they've started with milk, but I think it's an interesting one because you're bringing back that very basic skill. Of yes. This go off. <laughs> like, I think meat would be even more dangerous to do mm -hmm. with processed meat, like ham and things. Like that would be very scary to just leave the public. <laughs> When you talk to people, back when I used to work in retail or my old job, you talk to people and they're like, oh, this is two days before the best before date, so I'm going to throw it away. I'm like, what? You know, best before date is just a, like a suggestion. <laughs> it's yeah. not even a use by day. So people are already far, far. Like, yeah. They're so far down the line. Of, like They're scared as well because there's an association of you will get ill if you eat this past this date. Yeah. And it's just not necessarily true. But these are skills that we need to bring back. They're not something that you can just take away and be like, oh, go, go to the <laughs> people. <laughs> We'd have a lot of illnesses. <laughs> I, I completely agree that the thing that's in my head is it's, it's a litigious society. People want to sue people. That The second someone puts a use by date, not, sorry, takes it off, someone gets ill, it's just going to cause lawsuits and stuff. And, and I wish I wasn't saying that. It sounds so negative. Um, because it's something I totally back. Like, I mean, I was, my mum and dad had a farm shop. I worked in a local shop. I was brought up on food that was off. You know, like, I was the second the best before date was done, grand, that's what's for dinner. You know, like, it was, it was that was what I was brought up on. And, and it was absolutely fine. It was just, well, it was free to me. It wasn't free to my mum and dad in the shop. But um, it shouldn't be a problem. But because of the way it is, you know, suing wise and stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean the veg. I think is where they should start. <clears throat> if you can't tell veg is off, off, your eyes probably are struggling. You know, like it's it's a, a tatty has the best before date on it, but it's going to be fine. And <laughs> the time you're going to use it, you know. Um, yeah. But it's not just that. It's like how do you store things? That's a massive reason why things get wasted. It's things like. Bread, milk, potatoes, salad, apples, cheese. They're the biggest, biggest food groups to go wasting all the time in households. And it's because half the time, I reckon it is because we don't know how to store it. So it doesn't last very long. And I'm still learning to this day. Like someone said the other day, like, oh, mix this in with this. And then th that doesn't get moldy. Or put a beeswax um, over banana stalks to make the bananas last longer. I was like, how do you know this? <laughs> The answer is probably TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it on social media. It must yeah. be true. <laughs> but like that—that's one I have to try. The banana one. Oh, that's yeah, good fun. On, just on top of the bunch where they all connect up, just pop some beeswax wrap around that. Every day is a school day. Go try that one. But yeah, these <laughs> are the that we lost. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are. And it, it, yeah. And it caught, and I think we spoke right at the start about subsidy and, and how to get people on board with things. And financial incentivization is number one. It is always number one. It's always ahead of health. Um, 
people are losing money by by throwing this food away and, and it's is it 34 and a half or 33 and a half percent it's one of the two um is the amount of food we waste in the uk that's insane <laughs> now that's that's including some harvest losses but i think about like 75 percent of that 30 odd percent is in the household so like if you could reduce that that's that's extra money in, in your wallet at the end of the day and we know um, we can do it because in the pandemic our food household food waste mm-hmm went down dramatically because people couldn't buy things in the store so they were then you were having to buy fresh because we didn't have the supply chain of things coming yeah. in all the time and it was great and I was like this is excellent <laughs> I was going down to my local farm store and I was like look at all these people <laughs> well <laughs> it was excellent but yeah it's, it's what I, I did bring a statistic with me because I just find it shocking but the UK throws away 9.5 million tons of food waste a year at the same time, we have 8.4 million people in food poverty. And it's not normally the people in food poverty that are throwing away these things. That, like These people are the ones willing to take the risk with that moldy yeah. piece of bread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it's just yeah. a crazy scenario that we're living in. And I think there's a lot of education that needs to go on to just fix both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's it. And education's a massive part. Like what you're talking about, talking in schools. I work for a, uh, a charity called Right Up Here. I don't work for a charity. That's not what you do. What's the word? Be volunteer. Why couldn't I remember the word volunteer? I am one. Um, <laughs> a charity called Right where we go into schools and talk about that and stuff. And <clears throat> when you're when you're talking about that, um, what was it? Uh, Nine point five million tons of food waste. That's mental. And it's and it's 8.5 million people in food poverty. So there's enough to give more than each person more than one ton of food. That's insane. And, you know, that's not all down to consumers. That is government issues as well. That it's like like we said at the beginning, the farming is a business. It is not the farmer's responsibility to make sure everyone uh-huh. yeah. is fed. And I hate the idea of people go, oh, but I'm feeding the population, especially if it's a sheep farmer. No, you're not, because half of the UK don't even eat lamb. (laughs) You're you're feeding all the EU that you're not. It's it's this mentality that we have from the war times when our food security is really low. And, you know, farmers are heroes. We do produce food, but it's not our responsibility to do anything. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It's our responsibility to make sure our business thrives. Yes. Feed our family. Yes. It's the government's responsibility and to make sure supermarkets are controlled, to make sure the legislation's in place, tech trade deals are benefiting your own economy and your own people. It's, yeah, or council's responsibilities for making sure the right things happen. So are they approving applications for local farm stores? Are they putting up food banks and with access points? Are they denying takeaways and big you know businesses that are coming in and taking over so for example in the lake district if you've got a small village you're not going to find a mcdonald's there but you will find a local store yes it's more expensive it's also mm-hmm. a destination <laughs> so it's going to be more expensive anyway <clears throat> sorts of decisions that can impact how that area eats yeah and uh, yeah i come from a island that's essentially a honeypot island as well I, I get that sort of idea um but that and it's you you've got a history of marketing Gemma that in itself is marketable you know come to this place let's right yeah you're not going to be able to get a drive through McDonald's gutted I wanted chicken nuggets but like you know you can still get something from nearby and that's that's part of that experience going to places like this 
um, that that figure about the the amount of wasted food, we we globally we produce enough to feed twelve point six billion. <coughs> the the issue is the infrastructure. Um, yeah, I yeah. hate that where it's always like we've got too many people yes we might have too many people in terms of like everyone's driving and things like that but we can feed everyone yeah. it's just the infrastructure that we have and what we're eating like in the uk we eat two times the amount of meat than anyone else it's too much that's why we're importing it we could be self-sufficient and do it in an environmentally friendly way and people can eat what you want you can be vegan if you want you can eat meat don't yeah. care <laughs> like we can yeah, do absolutely. it too much and we eat too much processed things that's that's the general what it comes down to and then, you know, are we helping out other countries? Are we encouraging them to use pesticides that we make, that we ban here? Maybe. Or are we giving them the infrastructure and help that they need to make good food and in return we get some wheat and they don't kill all their soil? Yeah, <laughs> it seems like, seems like a good work way, way to look at it that way. <laughs> Very good in theory and uh, hopefully good in practice, but it's hard to implement. Um, do you know, I think in, the, in my five years at uni and even since my last two years working at, at, at uni, the, the scariest statistic I ever heard was the UK has the second highest population of malnourished zero to 16 year olds on the planet. Now, right. malnourished includes overnourished, but still. <laughs> it was Sierra Leone, UK. UK and Sierra Leone are never together. Like That, that doesn't happen. And I remember looking at that thinking, geez, that is worrying. <laughs> I was one of those children. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's a worry. Like it's, yeah, it's not just getting food to people. It's also limiting overconsumption as well. Um, you clearly have quite the busy life, uh, Gemma. You've, you've been to uni, you, you now farm, um, but you're also a business owner, uh, which is quite fun. Uh, if you... What's that? a new business owner let's point out why i'm not successful <laughs> anyone that's suddenly looks me up Still <laughs> a business um i uh usually watching this in june or july i can't remember yet um whenever it is uh but there's a big q a on uh, jim's instagram today and i'm very excited to see all the answers um i'll have to come up with a question i've just <laughs> spoken to you for an hour and a bit so surely i can think of one um but yeah could you tell us about it's whole of it isn't it whole of it yeah, whole yeah. of it. Well, the idea is that I don't know how to say it without saying saying anything cheesy, but it's the idea that we use the whole carcass, so there's no waste, and it's including all factors of the process. So you've got your societal impact, environment, welfare, and then ourselves, our own business. So it's important to us we don't underprice anything and that we're using local communities, like for our abattoirs and butchers or printers or bakeries, whatever it is we're doing. And it's, you know, another avenue for our farm because ultimately we want to. Um, so basically that's what I'm doing. And I've started off with the cheeky Tamworths and they've been made into charcuterie meat because Tamworth meat is incredibly tasty. It makes really good bacon. So I've gone all out on the taste. But, and so every aspect of the pig has been used, like the skin will be made into dog treats, the ears, the snout, um, the hooves, the, the big boxes of pork boxes, you know, I'm teaching people how to make things with the organs or the bones, but then they've also got their really impressive pack of charcuterie meat. And that as well, like charcuterie meat has about a six month 
shelf life. It doesn't need to be refrigerated really, as long as it's in like a, a larder, which is nice and cool and dry, then there's no waste really. Because if you cannot get through that meat in six months, then you're not allowed to buy my product. <laughs> <laughs> we go through a box in one sitting. Is so. <laughs> <laughs> charcuterie all salt cured? No, don't really know how it works. Mm, not always. It's an... I don't really know the answer to that because I just let my butcher get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> I go down and I learn all of what. So every time they cut them up, I go down and I look at them and I'm like, oh, what we're we doing with this? <laughs> what we're we doing with this off cut? What about the cheek on that face? And he's like, yep, I can do something with that or no. And I'm like, well, let's mince it, let's do something. And like, <laughs> so I, I've been through that process, but the actual charcuterie process is very, very long. It takes six to eight weeks to do. Right. It's, it's a certain skill. I don't know. <laughs> This skill it's not as simple as butchery like he has to go away and learn it <laughs> um some of them will get smoked some of them are dry cured it it depends <laughs> well i need to try this um sounds very good uh, does everything get used apart from like the central nervous system i assume that doesn't get used yeah absolutely everything, everything. allowed to use yeah <laughs> brilliant do you know when I did my master's, I went to Glasgow Uni and uh, there was 23 of us, 17 of which were from China. And they took me to, I sort of helped them a bit with, basically they'd never done English before they did a master's in English. I'm like, how does your head do this? It's amazing. You're oh, genius. Linguist yeah. blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it took me like three weeks to learn my name in Chinese um, and, and Mandarin. Uh, but I would sort of help them a wee bit. Like they would put their, send a report to me and I'd sort of make sure it was it was pretty much perfect but just sort of you know um and and they took me to this traditional chinese uh, restaurant and they ate everything you know mm -hmm. there was it was the the feet on the duck um everything was used the, the the bills were broken down and then the rice everything was used and i remember thinking like this is just awesome you know it's not like you know if it's not a steak we're not having it um yeah which is which is good you know it's lost again it's you know what have the supermarkets been providing us that's pork chops and maybe some pork mints or meatballs yeah. bacon sausages that's all you really know and then there are so many other parts of the pig that you could use same with lambs Matt, people that probably only buy lamb chop or lamb leg they don't buy lamb neck fillet or you know the liver or anything like this so we'll, we'll be doing lamb boxes in the future and it's that sort of thing so we're getting the organs and we're creating an edible product so that you don't have to faff around learning how to cook a heart, but it's something that will come. And then we'll, we'll look at doing beef as well and experimenting with how you do everything um, just to give the consumer a chance to try it. Because if you put liver in with, I don't know, shoulder mints, um, you're not going to taste it really. And it's really nutritional. And that's an easy way to get your kids to eat it. It's just a beef burger or it's just a lamb burger, whatever it is. <laughs> let's trick them a little bit and then once they're tricked and they're confident tell them the truth and you can break it down like that but it's it's going to take time yeah have you came across liver king no <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy brian johnson in the states some people think he's a maniac and here maybe he is um he's got one and a half million followers on instagram and uh, he only started like a year ago uh, he lives by the ancestral tenants, which is like 10 things, sleep, earth, sun, 
you know that sort of thing and it, it looks back to sort of how, how they did that and, and he is a bit he is crazy he's not a bit crazy he is crazy but he lives off bone marrow and liver like he's a carnivore and uh, seeing that the the positives of it's insane yes he's selling his lifestyle i get that and he's not going to talk a lot about the negatives um but the benefits of like for example liver kidney bone marrow huge um he eats them raw i assume you're not eating them raw uh, but, <laughs> but it's quite interesting you should check him out he's, he's a maniac and you have to be ready for some pretty intense videos but it's, it's quite interesting um how, how far do you deliver uh we do england next day delivery and then scotland two-day delivery but the good thing about charcuterie is that you don't really have to worry about it staying frozen or anything I mean, we pack it with ice packs anyway <laughs> yeah for sure next Just day that's insane <laughs> yeah. yeah it's 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 quite easy to post we'll have it'll change when we start doing lamb boxes because that'll be fresh sort of produce and then again with beef i don't know we'll see what we're gonna do i'm i'm, I'm working on some things with the butcher so we'll see <laughs> no good good no well, i think i have to order some i do like charcuterie um it's just something about it yeah, it's just a treat product. It's get oh, I'm gonna say get the girls around, but <laughs> get everyone around, yeah. The squad around and yeah. have some charcuterie. Brilliant. We have you ever tried to make wine? No. <laughs> we we well, I, I say we my mum tried it at home. Um <laughs> it worked. <laughs> I don't what? remember that. <laughs> like, um it was was it tasty? Sorry if you're listening to this, Mum. No, yes, it was lovely. Uh <laughs> but was strong. <laughs> what did people try and make what is it like nettle beer and things? Oh wow! I did. All right, I didn't know this right. So it's not the hops or anything that makes beer and cider and everything alcoholic. That's just a flavour. It's yes. actually like a glucose sugar thing. Lack of knowledge on. No, beer. I know the word. I can't remember it. Yep, you're correct. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, like so, like the yep. nettle leaves. It's like you don't even need that, really. It's for taste. It's like, do you want it to taste like nettle? Like, it just blew my mind. I didn't know that. I thought it was the hops. You know, all these pubs are sure. hanging down. <laughs> I was like, oh, my life has been a lie. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I kind of want to try nettle soup's a big thing, isn't it? N- I've not tried it. <laughs> have you not? Well, do you know what? I have seen people. And, and I think this is just a bit of a flex on some people's behalf, but they'll just pick the nettles and eat it. There's a way you can do it without stinging yourself. Now, I know I'm the person that's going to do it and just sting everywhere. Um, like, oh my God, I can feel it stinging on the way down. Um, <laughs> but a lot of, yeah, it's, it's common's a lie, but people do that. Um, I'll see if I can send you a video to show you. Maybe you can try that. <laughs> some charcuterie and nettles. <laughs> do a nettle off and see you can eat them out about dying in pain <laughs> just sounds like hell that just... <laughs> sounds like a challenge <laughs> yeah exactly well if, if it's what's got to be arranged it's what got to be arranged but, do you know I was trying to think there must be some kind of fun name you can make for the, the boxes like a uh, what Tam Tam Herdwick Tam Tam Worth It or a, a, I can't come up with any more but there could be some cool ones you could throw in there but it probably doesn't have to make it in there <laughs> At the moment it's a small box and big box <laughs> perfect uh, i mean you just need bob the builder to sing it um 
pretty creative. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's what it's what's inside it that matters. Um, well, I mean, look, that's been that's been fantastic. We've we've spoke already for 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 an hour and ten minutes. I think it's been really good. Sometimes it flies in, um, especially when talking about stuff I really enjoy, which I definitely was there. Uh, it's been great to have you on, uh, Gemma. I've, I've, I've actually you were I sort of filmed this and like. I do a batch and I think at the minute I've got 12 I'm filming in the next three weeks um, and you were in the list of the last one and for some reason I never sent you the message so uh, it's been good to film it. Um, <laughs> yeah no sorry yeah sorry put that over quite rudely there I mean I sent it and you didn't get back to me my god. Yeah, all right yeah let's turn it around. <laughs> um, but before I finish every podcast, there's two questions I ask absolutely everyone. And uh, when I say that, they're normally like, <laughs> what is it? Um, they're really not difficult questions. One of them is, where do you see yourself in five years? And the other one is, if you had any tips for folk coming into the industry, what would they be? Ooh. In five years, I'd like to say that we're running our own farm, like a substantial farm. So that we've both got our own incomes off of a farm. That would be mm -hmm. where I'd like to be. That's really difficult to get to. <laughs> a brilliant aspiration. Yeah. And then what people coming into the industry, I actually think that's incredibly difficult. Um, it's all about who you know and work experience and accessibility. Facebook. <laughs> There's looking out for people that have want lambing help and just starting off with work experience and then once you're in to the network you should be able to get through good very yeah, good really yeah just try and get work experience i think it's the only thing i can think of that's substantial <laughs> no it's that, that's what most people say it's a good one it's a good one and i think you hear so many folk i think my favorite story is um uh, i don't know if you've heard of flavian albiero um, yeah, we love Flav. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you might. You've got pigs, Kenyan pig farmer. Um, let's see if I can really delve back into the vault podcast. Articast number three, I believe, was Flavian. Um, he tells a story. Of his, he just sort of walked up loads of farm roads and knocked on their door. And if someone was there, great. He would ask them for some work. And if they weren't, they weren't. Um, it's and yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and people appreciate that sort of thing. So, so uh, yeah knocking on doors trying hard trying to get the experience you can good stuff good stuff well, listen the terminology well, actually like if you're looking for jobs farm hand or farm worker you're not looking for something really specific like some people might type i don't know i want to be a tractor driver <laughs> yeah for sure yeah 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 that's, that's a good point and to start out anything is a good good way um no probably no very good no it's been great to chat really good to sit down um what was this this was number 46 uh, for those of you listening yeah no it's almost number 50 we actually have number 50 arranged uh, we've got the next however many as i said earlier lined up um next week guys will be uh, the 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 people behind life at bankran road uh sorsha and aiden uh, so it's a really cool chat because they're talking about their farmhouse re uh, renovation which i love and the amount of TikToks I follow that is just house renovations, great fun. Um, and also, and also then sort of getting into farming as well. So uh, another good podcast there. Um, thank you to you, Gemma. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. I have, I have, especially our pre-talk. It's very fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did speak for about 10, 15 minutes before, and I, I did say I wasn't like, we missed that record because we're gonna sit here till nine o'clock and not have recorded a thing and spoke about everything, food security and, and environmental science. So it was very good. Um, so yeah, thank you very much. 
We shall see you all in a week for Life at Bank Run Road. And yes, see you then. Thanks. Well, that's it. Another R2 cast finished. Another agricultural mind opened up. And I would just like to say that getting these guests on board uh, does take time. Uh, and it always has done. But I've now went weekly. And with that comes even more time required. And I would just like to finally thank once more the Scottish Farmer for sponsoring the show and making that much more possible. Please be sure to get in touch if you've any ideas of people you'd like to see on the podcast or maybe ideas you have for me presenting better because I definitely do require that. See you in the next one.